Good morning, church. It is such a, a blessing that indeed we can rejoice in our Redeemer, our great treasure, the Savior of our souls. I'm so grateful for Pastor Kevin preaching the Word these past couple of Sundays. Uh, as I've reflected on those messages and considered that scene where the book of the Law of Moses was being read and explained and applied to the people of Israel as they had returned from exile, I was struck by the thought that we are so richly blessed here in this church to hear messages like that from one whom the Lord has used for decades to do that very thing, to read the Word of God, to explain the Word of God, to apply the Word of God to God's people. And so we thank the Lord for his faithful servant. And we return this morning to John chapter 14. By way of review, in verse 1, we saw at the beginning of the chapter that Jesus is sensing that his disciples' hearts are troubled as they are hearing this news about his departure. They have come to cherish Christ. They don't want to be separated from him. And so Jesus is comforting his disciples, and he's doing so with, with many promises, precious promises. He speaks of many dwelling places in his Father's house that await them in the future. And beginning with verse 12, Jesus continues to comfort the disciples, but we, we saw that he started to bring into focus their mission that he is preparing to send them out as his witnesses when he departs, and his provision to fulfill that mission, that whatever is needed to accomplish the mission, if they ask for it in Jesus' name, he's going to provide exactly what they need. And moreover, Jesus promises that not only are the disciples guaranteed a, a future place in the house of the Father, but in a short time, the Helper is going to come, the Spirit of Truth, who is a helper like Jesus. And not only that, but Jesus promises that also He and His Father are going to come and dwell with them. So they look forward to being with God in the future in that house, but even in the present, they are going to have God's presence with them as they seek to fulfill the mission that they are given. What glorious promises we've seen so far in John 14. He's going to provide resources. He's going to be with them. And those same promises are true for us today in the mission that we are called to participate in to continue forward. And that brings us to our passage this morning. In John 14, we come to verses 25 and 26. John 14, verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said 
to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Holy Scripture, the revelation of your truth, because in it we see your nature and your character revealed to us. I ask, Lord, that you would help us by your Spirit as we read your Word and study your Word, that we would understand it. Help us, Lord, to grasp the the glories of what you have in these verses. Teach us, Lord, we need your help. We ask that you would help us not only to grasp what it means, but Lord, change us with it, encourage us with it, make us more like Christ with it, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This passage is packed full of truth about the Holy Spirit. It's a couple of verses, but there are, there are many truths here. Uh, what I want to point out to you are, are five truths about the Holy Spirit that we see in these couple of verses. There's truths here about the Holy Spirit that the disciples needed to know in connection with their mission as Christ's witnesses. And these are truths about the Holy Spirit that we need to know as we seek to live out the mission that we've been called to. So five truths we have about the Holy Spirit. The, the first truth we see here about the Holy Spirit is that He is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Now Jesus had already called the Spirit a helper back in verse 16. He called the Spirit another helper who would be a help to the disciples just as Jesus had been a help to them. The disciples had come to depend upon Jesus for everything. And so he comforts them and he encourages them by informing them with a promise that the Spirit surely will come to them and be another helper to them. This word helper is translated from the Greek term parakletos. And you'll sometimes see people use the word paraclete. And that's what they're referring to, the Spirit, particularly that He is the helper. Paraclete derives from that Greek term. And the first part of that word, para, is alongside. We have the word parallel in English. Two things are running alongside each other. So there's para, alongside, and then kletos, to call. So putting those together, to call alongside. That is what it means, this, this helper, is one who is called alongside. Uh, one Greek-English lexicon describes this term as one who is called to someone's aid, one who is called to help. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper to come alongside, to be with us. What a blessed gift from the Lord that He has afforded to those who trust in Him. That we have received the Spirit of God as our helper. We are blessed beyond measure by His presence and His ministry in our lives every day. Constant work to help us to follow Christ, to help us to live out the mission we've been called to. Now, in this passage, Jesus is going to get more specific 
about a particular way that the Holy Spirit is going to help the disciples with respect to their mission. And Jesus has already hinted at this by calling the Spirit the Spirit of Truth. Back in verse 16, we'll see that this specific kind of help from the Spirit, uh, it's going to unfold to us as we work our way through these verses. But it has to do with Him being the Spirit of of truth and a particular kind of help that comes into focus in these verses. So the first truth about the Holy Spirit that we learn here, we've identified that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Now there's a second truth about the Holy Spirit that we can derive from this passage, and that is that the the Holy Spirit is holy. Look back at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Whereas Jesus had previously referred to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth, now he identifies the Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, that is what we traditionally, what we customarily refer to the Spirit as, as a title, the Holy Spirit. To be holy is to be set apart. And so the the Holy Spirit is set apart from all other spirits. The Holy Spirit is set apart from evil. He's set apart from sin. The Holy Spirit is grieved by sin. The Holy Spirit is holy. And the, the Holy Spirit, as one who is holy, produces holiness in all who trust in Christ, in all who are indwelt by the Spirit. Those of us who are trusting in Christ have the Holy Spirit at work in us to make us holy. What a gift from the Lord. We who were once slaves to sin, dead in sin, the Holy Spirit, is at work in our lives to progressively sanctify us. And thus Paul can say in Romans 8.13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And in Galatians 5, we see Paul noting that the Holy Spirit produces holy fruit in the lives of those whom He indwells. And so, so far we have seen the Holy Spirit is our helper. And we've seen that the Holy Spirit is holy. The third truth about the Holy Spirit that we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is sent. The Holy Spirit is sent. Look back again at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name. Back in verse 16, something similar had been said of the Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. But in verse 26, he instead of using the word give, uses the word send. The Father will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And at first 
glance, we, we could perhaps just pass over that distinction and, and not recognize there's, there's actually great significance to the use of the word send. It is mission language. If you'll flip over with me to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I want you to see that the same kind of language we're seeing used here of the Spirit was used of Jesus in relation to the Father. John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, the only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. God gave the Son, and He also says He sent the Son. Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission into the world to save sinners. And so the Father will send the Spirit, and He will do it in Jesus' name. Similar manner, just as He sent Jesus into the world to save sinners, so He will send the Spirit to complement this mission. If you turn with me to John 5, verse 43, we also see the language of Jesus coming in the name of his Father. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And so Jesus was sent in the Father's name. And then we see this language of the Spirit being sent in Jesus' name. And so, there's a significance here in the Spirit being sent in Jesus' name, and that is to show the unity in Jesus' mission and the mission that the Spirit is coming in. The Spirit is continuing the mission of the Son. Jesus said He would build His church. And he is doing so through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see bursting forth in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit continuing to carry forward the mission that sinners would be saved in the world. Christ builds his church through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We continue to see Jesus Revealing the Trinity to the disciples here. A profound, overwhelming truth about the Trinity. And he gets more and more explicit about the Trinity with them in this upper room. This is probably blowing their minds. The Father who sent the Son will send the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son. There's a a perfect unity with them. And so it should be an immense encouragement to our hearts to know that the Father's plan of redemption is being fulfilled as the Spirit applies the saving work of Christ to those whom the Father has given to the Son. And He has said that there's not one that the Father has given to the Son that He will lose. This plan will be accomplished in full, guaranteed by the triune God. We're not pursuing a lost cause. 
in our ministry of the gospel. It is Christ who builds the church through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. Our evangelism to family and to friends is not riding ultimately upon our abilities to reach them. It is the Holy Spirit who softens hearts. It is the Holy Spirit who makes alive. It is the Holy Spirit who makes new. If you're a believer in Christ, you know what that is, to be made new by the Holy Spirit, to be made alive. So be encouraged, church, that the Father's sending of the Spirit in the name of the Son is completing this mission of redemption. It is sure. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is holy. The Holy Spirit is sent. A fourth glorious truth about the Holy Spirit that we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Look back at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. There is something fascinating about that little pronoun, He, that I want you to know about. It's hard to, to, to bring over into English what is happening in the original language. But in biblical Greek, nouns are all, are all assigned to gender. And there's categories masculine, feminine, neuter. And the word spirit is a neuter noun. But he is a masculine pronoun. So this seemingly small detail, this use of the, the masculine pronoun in reference to the Spirit has immense implications. An important truth about the Holy Spirit. I believe the purpose of using the masculine pronoun here is to specifically highlight that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person. A divine person. One of three divine persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of force or some kind of mystical energy to be harnessed. He is God. He is holy. He is to be worshipped. He is God. We, we do not harness Him to accomplish our will, our desires, our dreams. We are to submit to Him. We are to be harnessed by Him to do the will of God. We have so vividly displayed in this text the three persons of the Trinity. We continue to see this unfold so clearly. Jesus is using such explicit language not only of He and His Father being of the same nature, because He stated that a lot. But even here, the Spirit, He's making references, making connections, helping to see three persons possessing divine nature. One God. Perfect unity. 
One God subsisting as three persons, and each person possessing the true and fully divine nature. It should cause us to tremble, and it should cause us to marvel at the glory of God as we behold the triune, the Trinity, in all its majesty. Nothing in creation can compare. All analogies fail. You just have to believe because this is so far above us. Our infinite God and our finite minds cannot wrap around it. This is our glorious God. And so we have glorious truths about the Spirit in this text, that He is our helper, that He is holy, that He is sent, and that He is a divine person. And that brings us to a fifth truth about the Holy Spirit. This is that the Holy Spirit is teacher. Let's read again verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus had been the disciples' teacher. They refer to him repeatedly as teacher. They've been getting teaching from him. They've been depending upon him for his teaching. He had preached about those who build their house on sand and are destroyed, and those who build on the rock and withstand the storms. And it's a picture of one who hears his words and acts on them, one whose life is built upon his words. And so it's crucial. Verse 25, that these things that He has spoken to them while abiding with them, that there is a way for that to be retained for them. That it won't all be lost when He's gone and He's not there teaching them as He has been. He's giving them hope here. He's giving them clarification here about teaching, about His words we think about the disciples' dullness of hearing. We think about, throughout the unfolding of the gospel, things that they're going to understand later that they're not understanding at the time. We think about their, their troubled hearts as they're reeling in this moment over the thought that Christ is going away. And that's probably all they can think about. And they're not processing well what he's saying to them. But even these things that he's saying later on, they're going to click and they're going to recognize the things he was saying. And so we have all of this going on in the, the, the minds of the disciples. We see the example of the disciples. Of course, it's easy to see how slow they are to believe and to, to understand, but we're the same way. And so we see this happening. We see their lives unfolding we see their struggles, and we recognize they're going to need a lot of help to retain the things that Jesus has been speaking to them. We need a lot of help from the Lord to retain the things that He has spoken, and especially such deep and 
rich truths that, again, the finite man, mind cannot fully wrap around. They will need help. In light of his words in verse 25, Jesus says that all these things about the Spirit we've been looking at in verse 26, that these glorious truths about the Holy Spirit, they're going to culminate at the end here in verse 26 as a solution to the concern of Jesus, the teacher of truth, going away. As I mentioned earlier on in the message, there is a specific task that's coming into view of how the Spirit is going to help the disciples and particularly focus on fulfilling their mission. Jesus promises to the disciples that the Holy Spirit will teach them all things pertaining to their mission as Christ's witnesses. And the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance these things that Jesus has said to them. Jesus is talking here about how the Spirit will work through the apostles and their associates to, to proclaim the truth of the gospel, to, to, to preach like Peter preached the message that he did in Acts. These things start coming together for them because the Holy Spirit is going to come and be the teacher for them. And not only this, but also they're going to be equipped by the Spirit of truth, by the teacher, to give us the New Testament Scriptures. The Scriptures that we're reading now. They will have the help of the Spirit of truth from verse 16. More precisely here we see, He is going to help them to write the truth that we see in the New Testament. Look with me at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20. In 21, Peter has talked about how he was there at the transfiguration and, and saw the majesty of Christ there, but, but he says what is more sure is the Word of God, the Scripture. And in verse 20 and 21, he, he follows that by saying, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That is what was happening with the apostles and with their associates, was that the Spirit of God was going to move them. It wasn't an act of their own will, but it was the Holy Spirit leading them to speak God's words, inerrant words. This shows us the manner in which the Spirit was working, the Spirit of truth was working to bring about the Scriptures. The result of the process enables Paul to say what he does in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God, or literally God-breathed, or breathed out by God. All of it, every jot, every tittle, from God's mouth, without error. These disciples are eyewitnesses of Christ, and particularly they will become eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Once He has died, once He has raised and appears to them before His ascension. But they will need the Holy Spirit's help to remember, again, these 
words that Christ spoke, the, the life that Christ lived, they've now seen the risen, they, they will have seen the risen Christ eventually, and they will need to recall all of these things about Him. And they will need to be able to do it, give an accurate record that has no error. You think about Jesus telling Peter when he questioned having his feet washed by Jesus, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Jesus was building shelving in their minds. I've mentioned this before, or you can picture it as file folders. These categories, he's, he's making place for things that are going to be filled in later when the Spirit comes and brings that understanding, and that will enable them to write the New Testament. Jesus later would say in John 16, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, this kind of promise that He's going to guide them into all truth, we may incorrectly assume that that these promises are, are directed right at us. But really, these promises pertain primarily to those disciples to whom he was speaking. There are implications for us, but we're not promised the exact same thing that the disciples are promised here. We will not receive new revelation directly from the Spirit as eyewitnesses of the risen Christ to write down that testimony and to add it to Scripture. The canon of the Scripture is closed. Jude says the faith has once for all been handed down to the saints. So what then are the implications for us concerning this promise from Christ to His disciples? Well, we have confidence that we have a New Testament that is inerrant revelation from God written through eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. We know the authority of Scripture. We know the power of Scripture. We know what it is. And we know what it is to, to our ministry, to our mission, founded upon this Word, this unshakable Word, this unchanging Word. When Jesus says that the Spirit would teach them all things, He's not saying that He would give them omniscience. The context is focused on the mission that he is going to send them out on as his witnesses. And so he will provide all things they need to know in terms of the words that he had spoken to them, in terms of the things that they would need to write as his witnesses. And there's no way that they could have accomplished this task on their own. This required the work of the Spirit, of truth. And it has monumental implications in terms of our bearing witness of Christ. We can carry out the mission that we have been given to witness to the lost about Jesus Christ, to call them to repent and to believe the gospel. And for those who do repent and believe We have what we need to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded 
as he's called us to do in the Great Commission. And it is ultimately the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is using the Word of God, who is using the Scripture to cause people to be born again. He brings us forth by the Word of Truth, causes us to be born again, and He helps us to grow. This is the work of the Spirit. One plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. He causes the spiritual birth. He causes the spiritual growth. It is His work, the work of the Holy Spirit. We ourselves are taught by the Spirit. And we, we call this His illuminating ministry. I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We see Paul speak of the revelation received by people like him, apostles. But he also speaks to the illuminating work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. A mystery is something that's hidden that is now revealed. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Only a divine person could do that. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? It's God's own spirit. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. These are words that have come from God. And then in verse 14, we get to the, the work of the Spirit to help one understand these things. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. That's how he perceives them. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. The spiritual one can understand these things because they have the Spirit of God to help them understand the Word. The same Spirit who put the words on the pages of Scripture lifts them off the page into our understanding and applies them to our hearts. And so in that way, we learn from 
the Holy Spirit as He illumines the Word of God to us. Now, it's, it's not as though we just sit back and it gets zapped into our minds. But the Spirit works through diligent study of His Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 But be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Proper application of interpretive principles that are exemplified by the biblical authors is what we need to practice to study the word. And at the same time, that diligent work would be a futile endeavor without the help of the Holy Spirit. It is the means through which the Spirit works to teach us the words of God. And to some in the church, the Spirit gives the gift of teaching to help the saints come to a clear understanding of the Word and to have a model for how to study the Word of God and to apply the Word of God now, there is a primary and central message that the disciples, who were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, were driving at in this New Testament that was delivered by the Spirit through them. It is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, front and center. These eyewitnesses of Christ testified that Jesus, who is the Son of God, Jesus, a divine person, came to his, this earth for a reason. That reason is that mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is every one of us. And because of this predicament for man, God who is just, he must punish sin in an infinite degree because he is infinitely holy. And the punishment is based on the one whom you've offended. And so sin deserves everlasting punishment. But this God, who is just and will punish all evil, is also a merciful God. And because of this, He sent His Son into the world to save sinners. And He did so, Jesus, by taking on a human nature entering into this world, entering into human life. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. He obeyed in every respect. And he obeyed the Father's will even to the point of death on the cross. A death that we deserve. A death that he took. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. He showed that he had defeated sin and death. And he showed that he had made a way for those who trust in him to be raised from death into life, to be delivered from their sin. And so I urge you, if, if this morning you have recognized that you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that you don't truly know this Son of God who took on flesh, came to this earth, died to pay for the sins of his people, and rose for his people. Today can be the day that he becomes Savior in your life. He calls you to repent of your sin, to do a 180, to turn your back on sin, and to look upon his Son, because that is your only hope. There is no other way. 
There's only one name by which we may be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. No other substitute could do. Only Christ could be the God-man, perfect substitute who could satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. And so I would urge you, place your hope fully upon Him today. He is mighty to save. He will not push anyone away who comes to Him in faith. And for those of you who are trusting in Christ, how blessed are we to be born of the Spirit, to know the life we lived, to know the darkness of our hearts, to know what Christ has done by the Spirit to make us new, to give us life, and to have these words, these precious words that Christ spoke, that His disciples later wrote down for us as the Spirit brought remembrance to them of the truth God is so good to us. He doesn't owe us this word. He doesn't owe us this salvation. Grace upon grace upon grace. And then these glorious promises we have in, in John 14 as we think about again this word that the Spirit of truth has given us in the Scripture. This dwelling place that's reserved for us in the Father's house that we only know about because of the word that the Spirit has given us. The presence of the triune God abiding with us now and forever. And He is with you even in your darkest hour. And you need to know from the promises of God's Word delivered by the Spirit of truth that the darkness will end. It cannot last forever. Revelation 21 says He will wipe away every tear from your eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things will have passed away another precious promise that the spirit of truth has given us in his word second corinthians 4 therefore we do not lose heart but though our outer man is decaying yet our inner man is being renewed day by day the spirit of god is working in our lives For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Your afflictions are not wasted. They are producing an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond comparison, the glory will break the scale when put in comparison with the suffering compared to the glory it's producing. How blessed are we that the Spirit of truth has provided us with a Scripture filled with promises like these. Promises that we need, teaching that we need from God And ultimately, these promises are only possible because of what Christ has done. His work to save us. All the promises are yes in Him. And He has given us the guarantee of a glorious inheritance by sealing us with the Holy Spirit of promise. A guarantee 
of the things to come. What glorious truths we've seen in this passage today regarding the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's there to help us to walk this life, to live out this mission we've been called to. He is holy. He is at work to make us holy. He is at work to deliver us from the sin that by the grace of God we grow in in despising and wanting to be walking in freedom from these things. The Spirit produces those affections, changes those desires, and does that work of holiness progressively in our lives. He is sent. He is sent to carry on the work that Christ was doing, that Christ would be witness to in the earth, that people might be saved in the world. And he is a divine person. He's not an it. He's God. And he is teacher. He is the teacher of divine truth. Divine truth that he revealed through the eyewitnesses of Christ. There are all sorts of truths that get propagated today that are false. But there's the truth of God. This is what the Spirit has given to us in the Word and continues to help us to grow in knowing the truth as we study the Word. The Spirit has revealed to us in the Scripture that Jesus Christ ultimately is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, may our hope be fully fixed on Him. And may we point one another to Him, the truth. And may we be faithful by the grace of God, by the strength of the Spirit, to proclaim Him, the truth, to people we know who are lost, family, friends, those who are without hope in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your truth in your word given to us by the Spirit of truth. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our helper, constant helper. We thank you for his holiness and the work of progressive sanctification that he works in our lives. We thank you that he has been sent to continue this mission that is unstoppable because it is the mission, the plan of the triune God. We thank you, Lord, that the Spirit is God. God dwells in us. How glorious a gift that is. And we thank you that the Spirit is the teacher of truth. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow in our knowledge of you as we study your word. Deepen our worship of you with the things that we learn taught by the Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.